Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dan Francesco, and I'm the Deputy Editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the U.S. Editor of Waters Technology, Anthony Malakian. Good to be here. So today is a special day because it is the second time we have a guest on. Our guest today is Richard Johnson, who is the Vice President of Market Structure and Technology at Greenwich Associates. We're going to speak with Richard today about his report, Blockchain Adoption and Capital Markets. You know, obviously, Anthony and I have spoken a lot about blockchain over the past few months. It's better to get some experts in here to actually talk about than listen to us about it. Yeah, exactly. Instead of having the idiots drone on, <laughs> on and on, we'll have Richard was nice enough to take uh, some of his time, give us some of his time during this holiday week to chat a little bit about his report. So we're going to get into that. But before we get to that phone call, first, I want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. Uh, we'd just like to let you know we're doing a free webcast that's sponsored by Eagle Investment Systems. It's called Replacing Legacy Technologies to Support Business Growth and Compliance. Uh, we have a panel of experts that are going to look at business and operational benefits in replacing legacy technologies. And uh, the entire webcast is going to be run by a good friend of ours, our editor-in-chief, our boss, <laughs> the big man, uh, Victor Anderson. Um, you know, we understand that y- you guys, the listeners, and obviously our readers, you guys are always looking for ways to gain a competitive advantage. Um, and it starts with ensuring your technology is as efficient as it possible. So if you're interested in tuning into this free webcast, it's Wednesday, July 13th, 3 p.m. London time, 10 a.m. New York time. Again, it's free for anyone. And the great thing about this webcast is that just like our podcast, it's available on demand. So if you're not available on July 13th, the day of, you have plenty of time to, to catch up. But you up. have so to gonna... register for it. So that's why you want to get in there and register for it. And then this way we'll send you an email and uh, you'll get it. And they run usually less than an hour, usually about 50 minutes, 55 minutes. So I'll include the link at the bottom of the page. Uh, please be sure to check it out and uh, definitely register Great panel, great topic, and also you'll be able to hear the boss man, Victor, talk about some great stuff. So definitely check it out. But enough of that, on to our guest, Mr. Richard Johnson. All right, hello, and we are now joined by Richard Johnson of Greenwich Associates, who's the Vice President of Market Structure and Technology. Uh, Before joining Greenwich Associates, Richard was uh, consulting for firms with Bitcoin and blockchain. Uh, He also spent some time at at ITG, uh, LiquidNet, and uh, SockGen. So, Richard, we appreciate you you joining in today. We're, We're having you on to talk a little bit about the blockchain adoption in capital markets. The report went out. June 21st uh, last week, and also there was a webinar this week um, that's available to listen to on demand for register. We'll have all those links at the bottom. But thanks so much for uh, for sitting in and chatting to, with us a little bit today. My pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah. So I guess to start, these things tend to work well if you kind of give us maybe a 30,000-foot view just overall of the uh, the report. Kind of what was the general insight? What was the, the reasoning behind looking in? Obviously, blockchain's an exciting, um, you know, talked about technology this year and in last year as well. What was the basis behind uh, the report? Yeah, I mean, as you say, obviously, people have been talking about it a lot. It's been in it's been in the press. There's been a lot of hype around it. But we really wanted to do is is drill down and to find out what what are the actual people who are rolling their sleeves up and getting involved doing. So when we went out to do the survey, we didn't just do a blanket survey of uh, uh, you know people in Wall Street. We very much focused on making sure we were getting the people who were actually doing. Uh, you know, working on the blockchain initiatives within their firms. We've got a broad uh, uh, spectrum of different companies covering banks, brokers, consultants, technology vendors, the buy side, exchanges, 
and uh, and central counterparties, and also the blockchain utility companies themselves. Okay. Um, one of the things to come out of this, one of the good things to come out of this, I think, was that um, you know, out of the people we spoke to, 89% of them were either decision makers or actively involved in blockchain initiatives at their firm. So I definitely think we did hit it, uh, hit it correctly there, and get the right kind of audience. Um, we asked a range of questions uh, around, you know, what are, what are budget sizes, what's your typical team size, um, what, uh, what do you think are the most promising use cases, uh, which companies do you think are the most likely to succeed, and uh, I think we've got some very interesting results. Mm-hmm. So to, to that point, in terms of, you know, some, what's something that stood out about the report to you? You know, in these standard reports, you always generally have a, an idea of where you think it's going to head or what the responses you are going to get. But maybe what's something specifically that stood out that I don't want to say shocked, but maybe you were a little bit surprised by the results? Yeah, I was definitely surprised by the budgets. And that's kind of the headline we went out with. Um, you know, out of the people we spoke to, 32% had an annual budget in excess of $5 million per year, and another 15% had budgets in excess of $2 million. Um, so when we added that up across all the companies we surveyed, um, it, it, you know, it, it added up to $200 million just within that group. And um, we reckon based on the subs that we extrapolated out, and it, it, it looks like the spending on, in 2016 may well exceed a billion dollars on blockchain. Uh, I'm talking industry-wide and globally, but still it's a massive number. So that was a big surprise for us. So the report said that the most promising application of smart contracts in, uh, is in collateral management. Uh, 45% gave that as the highest rating, and then that was followed closely by OTC derivatives with 43%. Uh, equities took in 19%. So this was 134 firms were in the survey, 30% of which were banks, 10% were asset managers, and the rest were made up of consultants, technology companies, and firms actually working with blockchain solutions. Um, I guess from that, uh, Goldman Sachs, I know, recently had a report that said that uh, cash securities uh, with uh, equities, repo, leveraged loans uh, being the best, that those were probably the best areas for blockchain adoption. Um, but from what you're seeing right now, I guess, what are some of the specific use cases that you think will be best for blockchain? And what are some uh, areas that you think are a little bit overhyped right now and maybe not as appropriate? So, okay, first I just want to draw a distinction between smart contracts and blockchain. Smart contracts aren't necessarily part of a blockchain implementation, but they're uh, essentially uh, computer programs that can verify or enforce the terms of a contract. So when you, when you pointed out that the application there is collateral management, um, there's a lot of moving parts in collateral management in terms of, um, uh, you know, managing exposures, calculating asset prices, bringing in external data, uh, sending out margin calls, and so forth. And I think that's more about automation, if you were, uh, the smart contract side of it, which is why collateral management and OTC derivatives fell into that, but it you know, worked well there. Um, on the blockchain side of things, payments was the most popular or the most viewed as the, most, uh, the best use case. Um, now, I think you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, it's one of the first use cases to be tackled. Ripple is a very successful company that's one of the earliest in the space that is tackling the payments problem. Um, Bitcoin itself, which is the original blockchain implementation, it, it, you know, has a lot of payments applications. And also, I think, um, you know, of course, the blockchain, we're talking about securitizing assets onto the blockchain, uh, digitizing them. 
Um, and with any kind of trade, with any kind of buy or sell, one leg is the transfer of the asset and the other leg is the transfer of cash. So payments could apply to, or, or, or you know, payments, sending funds across the blockchain could not only apply to uh, um, you know, banking transactions and so forth, it could also apply to every kind of you know, digitized asset on the blockchain transaction. Oh, very good. And, you know, I guess then on the other side of that, then, you know, it, blockchain has been described as a tool looking for a problem to solve. Um, one thing that I've always heard about is that, you know, talking to contacts, you know, the technologists I talk with is that in order to have a successful IT project, you need to establish what the problem is first and then work for, look at the tools and examine how best to go from there. Um, I guess what are kind of the greatest uh, challenges that still uh, stand in blockchain's way, and do you think that there are any areas that maybe blockchain is being discussed for that it won't really work in the future? Yeah, I, I think it's going in the other direction to your description there. Um, it is really, oh my god, this is amazing technology, what can we use it for? And throwing a lot of things at the wall and trying to see what stick. I mean, that's kind of a crude way of describing it. Um, but certainly people are looking at a whole host of different things within finance, outside of finance. Um, you know, I think part of the reason some of the things, you know, show up as good candidates is you look at how the market works now. And kind of the more broken it is, the, 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 the better candidate it is for uh, blockchain disruption. So syndicated loans is a good example. The average um, settlement time on a syndicated loan is T plus 19 days. Uh, so you know, you know, people are looking at that and saying, well, you know, a Bitcoin transaction can settle in 10 minutes. So you know, let's try and put syndicated loans on the blockchain. And there's a couple, there's a couple of companies doing that. In particular, um, Iprio and Symbian have teamed up. They're going to work on syndicated loans. Uh, more generally, I think what people are trying to figure out with the technology is, you know, how to make it work in a permissions environment. So, you know, they're taking a lot of what's worked well in Bitcoin, and but leaving behind a lot of things that they don't like, such as the public nature. Um, the, the consensus mechanism, which is actually fairly slow. Ten minutes is considered fairly slow. The throughput is considered fairly slow. So they're trying to improve on all these things and make it work in a secure capital markets environment. Okay. And I guess when you look at it, the, the, the one thing is so the main obstacle people said was uh, vested interest in legacy systems. And I think that that's uh, going to be a big challenge that because you know, it would seem that there's going to be a lot of having to fully fully replace, you know, big, large, bulky systems that have existed for a long time. Um, that's always been a problem in the capital markets. Um, is Do you kind of see a way around that, that, that main hurdle? Because 42% was that as the main hurdle, and I was actually surprised it wasn't even more than that. Yeah, I think... You, you know, people, uh, you know, anecdotally, people I've spoken to mentioned things like, uh, you know, Blockbuster Video, which went from its peak to, you know, bankruptcy within a few years because they weren't able to adjust to a new paradigm. And there's other examples out there that I think are in people's minds. And when you think about, a, a, you know, a new technology, you know, potential adopters may say, well, I'm not going to use that until it's better than the system I already have. So that can create a, a cycle whereby the emerging technology is never given a chance to grow and dies, dies on the vine, as it were. Um, so I think that's why we're kind of we're trying to we're seeing um, you know a lot of the development and testing currently being done out of innovation labs where it's a separately funded 
you know, skunk works project that uh, people are allowed to kind of play around with the technology, make mistakes, learn from their mistakes and improve it until it's eventually at the point where it's able to perform better than legacy systems. And, and Richard, that brings us to kind of the, the last question to wrap things up, kind of taking a view, look, taking a, a look forward. You know, this is kind of one of the more talked about questions. What's the timeline now going forward? So for our listeners, from your perspective, what are for those significant steps that need to occur for this blockchain adoption to really start to begin? What, from your perspective, in your opinion, do you think is the timeline for some of those steps to start uh, taking place? Actually, this was something else that was a bit surprising coming out of the report. People are a lot more bullish on the time frame than they were just you know, six, nine months ago. End of last year, people were saying, oh, you know, it could take 10 or 20 years uh, uh, you know, to implement. Um, based on our, on our survey, only 1% 1, 1 of people said it would take that long. Um, in fact, 80% uh, of respondents said that it would uh, enable meaningful change in one, in one use case within the next two years. Um, so it, it, it seems like it's moving very fast, and I think the reason for that is we've you know, since the end of last year we've moved. We, we started having a lot of proof of concepts coming out in different use cases, in private shares, um, you know, in payments, and uh, in uh, FX uh, derivatives, and so forth. So people are doing these POCs, and they're working. So that's giving them encouragement that actually yes, there is something here, which is why I think these these estimates are getting a lot more bullish. Sure. So it's well, exciting. I think there's, uh, you know, there's a lot going to be happening over the next uh, couple of years as we move to, you know, maybe maybe late this year or early next year, we'll see some of the POCs move to more kind of limited beta production releases, and that'll be a good, um, you know, that'll be a good, very good sign for the industry to see if you know we actually can get these blockchain products off the ground. Yeah, I think I think everyone is definitely interested in seeing things definitely get up off the ground and seeing these projects actually put in place. You know, we've we've heard all the reports, we've heard all the the innovation lab work. So I think it's definitely the industry's ready, and I think people will be excited to see things get going. Before I let you go, and Richard, we really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on regarding the report or, or mention about the report? Um. No, I think we covered a lot of a lot of different things on the report. As you mentioned, we did a webinar yesterday, and um, you know, happy to share that with your listeners. And um, if they have any other questions, they can reach out to me. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the name of the report is Blockchain Adoption in Capital Markets. And uh, Richard Johnson, Vice President of Market Structure and Technology at Greenwich Associates. Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. So, as you heard, that was a great conversation there with Richard. But before we let you go... We first want to uh, obviously touch on some non-fintech subjects, and the biggest subject of the week clearly is Game of Thrones. 100%. Uh, so much more than Brexit or anything that's happening in the world. So much more than anything else that's going on. It's all about Game of Thrones. Now, I do want to preface it by saying this. I understand how ridiculous it is that two financial technology writers uh, that have no experience in television production or, t or being critics are talking about Game of Thrones. But that's the beauty of podcasts. That's the beauty of this world that we live in and social media. Everyone's allowed to share their opinion. Everyone's allowed to share their thoughts. I know Anthony and I both have some pretty significant ones about this episode and about this season. Uh, Anthony, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts? What are your biggest takeaways from the season finale of season six of Game of Thrones. I thought, so it's the best season ever, um, in my opinion. But I really started to get worried there around se episode seven, eight, and nine. There was just so much dragging, so much useless stuff. You know, 
the Daenerys Targaryen, you know, plot. I just, I just didn't care about her storyline anymore. Um, but episode 10 more than made up for it. Uh, the opening scene just with uh, the piano and everything. They changed up the music, um, the score for it, for the, for that scene was brilliant. Um, really took a long time to set it up and really build up the tension and everything like that. Uh, so the episode itself was great. And it really, you know, so now, okay, finally, you know, there's something useful happening with uh, Daenerys. You know, that, okay, she's finally got all the ships together. Finally going up, you know, making the march now. I swear to God, if she turns back toward a uh, Marine... I'm done. I'm done. I'm done watching the show. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I, I can't take it I'm anymore. Um, yeah. So yeah, what do you think? Well, yeah, no, and you know, this is again the problem. Uh, you, I tend to regurgitate a lot of things I've heard before, but I was listening to the Channel 33 podcast. Uh, Bill Simmons, guys over there, it's called The Watch, and they were talking about it. I was listening to it yesterday, and they said the beauty of why the finale was such a great finale is because there has been so much buildup over the past few seasons that it was paying off. A bunch, of, you know, it's it's when you finally collect that, you know, the, all those debts that you're required. There was a bunch, you know, you could have had, you couldn't have had. They said this season finale in season two because there just wasn't enough. But you've invested so much that that's why it was so great to see that scene where Xerxes just kind of just goes mad well, with. And that was my favorite part too. Is so my girlfriend hates me for this, but my favorite character on the show has been uh, Tywin Lannister. Just, I love him. Just uh, the stable king, who's well, not the king, but a you know, guy behind the scenes who'll do anything for his family to keep his family and his people in power and in charge. I love that character. And that's my favorite thing is that Cersei became full on Tywin Lannister. And I was so excited about it. Meanwhile, my girlfriend, Alice, who's a big Stark fan and a big Jon Snow fan, for other reasons even than the show itself <laughs> um you know she she never likes that fact but yeah yeah i mean for me the best scene and maybe this makes me a teeny bopper girl was when the north started pledging its allegiance to john <laughs> i was ready to stand up i was in my pajamas in my bed i was ready to stand up and pledge my allegiance <laughs> to the king of the north uh to, to bend down on one knee but so one prediction really i got have me going. Let's from, hear it. from that one is that so um the redhead, uh, uh, Sansa. Sansa, uh, she will at first team up with Littlefinger and look to screw over Jon Snow and try and remove him and try and usurp that power that's being pledged to Jon Snow. But the last minute, she'll realize what she's done and she'll feel wrong about it and she'll have to give her life up for it because you know. Starks just have to die in the dumbest ways because they're always so damn stupid. They always do the wrong things. I don't know why people like Starks. <laughs> they're the most useless characters. They don't play the Game of Thrones. They don't deserve to have loyal. any power. They're loyal. Uh, loyalty. What's loyalty getting anybody except their head? I, uh, I mean, this this has to lead towards a Jon Snow, uh, uh, Danny marriage, right? That's where this has this has to lead to them teaming up and then going after the the white walkers that's what it, it has to be that so what i from what i've heard and what i've read online it seems like there's going to be maybe one more season but two truncated seasons so essentially one season split up kind of how they did bad they did breaking bad where maybe it's two eight episode seasons or two six episode mm -hmm. seasons so i'm guessing next season is going to be the fall of king's landing the fall of xerxes that whole the, the the end of that 
And then it's going to be the linking of Jon Snow and Danny, the marriage of those two. Because again, remember, he's of Targaryen blood. And the Targaryens, from what I've heard or read and seen, like to marry within to keep the, the bloodline strong. So that would essentially be, since it's, that would be uh, Danny marrying her uh, nephew. Her, her I'm not even going to try and figure out. It would yeah. be her marrying her nephew. So they'll marry each other. And then it's got to be dragons. Ver- I mean, that's how it's always got to be. It's got to be fire and ice. Dragons versus uh, the White Walkers. That's where I, I see this this all eventually leading and it, to. And, you know, the, I guess they alluded to that in the one scene where Daenerys talks about how, you know, marriage, how that's why the other guy had sure. to stay behind. Exactly. And the, his character, I don't give a crap about. The guy who's got the stone man disease, I don't care about him, but I know that they're going to throw them at me. And the most useless character in the whole freaking thing is Sam. Tully, yeah. And it's like, I don't care. Any, Who cares about books? When he came on... The whole reason I'm watching the show is because I don't like books. <laughs> don't bring me to a place with a bunch of books. Yeah? It had me laughing. Like, like he came on the screen, on the screen I was like, ah, oh, that's right, we have to deal with him now, too. I forgot about that. But I'm sure he'll play a major role somehow. It's always guys like that. But but, but, but oh, think so. about how useless this whole thing has been. He's just been in there to play some major role at the very end, but he hasn't done anything else major except He's for stab a white walker. He's also got sword, too. Yeah. So that's a big oddity. Who knows? But, so... You know, I'm clearly not smart enough, or don't know. I even I don't even remember half the characters' names. L- big picture, though, when it comes to overall HBO series, where does Game of Thrones rank for you? For we'll start HBO, HBO and then we'll go and then we'll go television in general. Well, no, no show. I mean, a show might come along, but The Wire for me is the be all end all when it comes to great shows. Is that? Do you really? Did you really enjoy The Wire more than you enjoy Game of Thrones, or is that? Because it's just so smart, and David Simon, and oh... I, I'm David. not even lying to you. And I'm not trying to be yeah, no, no, an I, asshole when I, I say it, because people are Oh, like there are that. plenty of people like that. With the, with the Wire, they're insufferable. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, Boston Red Sox fans, like, when, before they lost, you know, before they won, they're just insufferable. Right. No, I agree with you on that. Um, but no, I literally go back and watch old episodes of The Wire all the time. Like, that's my... That and The West Wing are my two shows like when i just want to do something around the house or something like that have something on the background or if i just want to escape and just don't want to have to think about watching a new show just watch something old and familiar the wire or uh the west wing are my two uh so for hbo wire i hated the last couple seasons of the sopranos so i'm gonna assume that right now if if game of thrones keeps on going in this direction then I'll be. I think it will definitely overtake uh, Sopranos as number two on that list. Deadwood was interesting. Um, I've been told Oz is great, but I've I never watched it. Um, I'm trying to think of what else Were might you an be in that. Oh, Entourage, yeah, but that was, uh, that was fun. I, I liked the show, but right. yeah, it wouldn't be, be better than this. Um, or oh, Boardwalk Empire. True, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire, Six Feet Under. Were you a Six Feet Under guy? No, and apparently True Blood. Everybody was all about. I don't care about vampires so <laughs> leftovers oh you don't watch leftovers leftovers right? i watched the uh, first season and i just never felt inclined to go back to it okay yeah i don't know it's it, it's tough i mean the wire is a very good show uh i think it, it gets overblown a lot by people you know oh it's it's all about america and it's so deep and there's college cl- classes and but you, you probably hate it just for the opposite reason of what you're saying but just so many people shove down like you have to like the, how dare you not like the wire right there's so many people like that it makes you go like screw it i'm not gonna like the wire now <laughs> mm-hmm. uh 
it, uh, the thing is, like, I remember, so last season, there was a time where I was not caught up on Game of Thrones. I fell back a couple episodes, and then there was the Hard Home episode where there was the big Whitewater ba- White Walker battle, and then I was back on board. Um, but I've kind of, I do like it a lot. I do enjoy it a lot. All time, I mean, so to your point, one of my, you know, if we're talking dramas, because comedies is a whole other animal, but if we're talking dramas, Breaking Bad, you know, even though it's another one of those shows, you have to like it. I really did just thoroughly enjoy that. And then the first, it's only been one season, but the first season of Mr. Robot was so incredible. I mean, I watched that. I haven't watched it. I got to catch up on that one. You really do. The new season starts mid-July. It was one of those shows where in a weekend, I watched the entire series. Um, It was just, it was just absolutely fantastic, but I'll be interested to see where where Game of Thrones goes from here. I mean, the other thing that I heard people talk about is, so let's say there are only more two more truncated seasons. What do they do with the series after? Because it's a money maker. They don't want you know. Is it do they go the Hobbit route where they're go, where they go a uh, side route? A, a side route. What do you think? There's there's extra additional legs on Game of Thrones that HBO will try to get more money out of. They've never. I'm trying to think. Of, they've never done that. In the past, you know, but whether or not if there's a, a cool movie or something like that, I don't know. That maybe it could be developed into, uh, but I don't ever recall them ever doing that. I don't think so either. But also, this is kind of a cultural phenomenon that they've never really had as big. I mean, granted, Sopranos was huge and whatnot, and also it's kind of. A, I always view these things as kind of uh, a uh, in in a little bit of rose tinted glasses because of social media makes everything seem a lot more important, especially because your social media is geared exactly to what you like. So it's only people you agree with saying, this is awesome. And you're like, this is awesome. Everyone's talking about this. So you're like, this is way bigger than it's ever been. I also wonder if like, so new stories that came out would be popular, but I, I also don't think, like I said, like with the wire, I like to go back and watch old episodes and West Wing. So my two, those are my two favorite series of all time. Um, we'll cross out the years after Sorkin left the West Wing, but those first few years anyway. But I don't know that people are going to keep on going back to watch old episodes. Be like, oh, God, you know, I want to go watch the Red Wedding again. It's like, it's one of those shows that once the reveal's revealed, it's, yeah. you move on and you get you get on with life. So I don't know that there are, that it will have a longevity the way that Sopranos, I think, I, I can go back and watch a ton of Sopranos episodes. I can go back and watch a while. I can go back and watch so many of these other series, Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, that's fair. I don't know. For a lot of people, it might be one of those. It's one and done. It's fantastic, but it's it's one yeah. and done. The other interesting thing that that I thought. So as writers, you know, we're writers, not quite on the level of George R. R. Martin. Um, I found it fascinating that so this being a lot of people are saying it's the best season of all time for George R. R. Martin to go and relinquish control of that to go and. You know, he he built everything in place. He it's incredible the web that he built mm-hmm. and how all these things are connecting to each other. Mm-hmm. But then to hand that over as a writer, it's so interesting. I, I I think that that's the most fascinating thing about Game of Thrones is that you know I wonder if he looks back and regrets it at all. If he just wishes that he didn't tell the studio, no, this is my show. I'll you'll you'll get it when I'm done with it. Can you imagine the death threats? <laughs> and the, the anger, the hatred he would get if he did say that. And then we were just waiting years and years. Not sure if, I mean, listen, I wish the best for George R. R. Martin, but he's not a young spry man. He's getting older. So, you know, with people unsure of, uh, imagine the, it's tough. Do you man. think he was, that he just, do you think that he, because it is such a complicated web, that he just finally said, 
all right, I know the general construct, but I don't know that I can do this as well as if I have a team of great writers also helping out. Part of me in the back of my head thinks that he hit a wall in some ways and didn't, because that's why it's taken him. So, because what was it? He wrote the first book and then the, the next book followed like a year or two later. The next book after that followed it like two years He's later. Got five, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, I think so. And then what was it? It was four years after that, and then you know, twelve years, you know, something like that. After so, this has been he was banging out books, and it got really slow, and now it's just taking forever to to complete this thing. So I wonder if he didn't hit a wall, and he realized that for the benefit of the show of his own book, maybe he needed to see a little bit how some other writers went went about. Uh, telling some of these in between stories to yeah, get but I have to, to the imagine major themes. He he has everything. He sh- he scripted out this season for them. How he where he yeah, wanted yeah. them to go. Again, this is just to say that he wanted the the little pieces in between. You know, he didn't want to have to go through the painstaking effort of doing the little pieces in between. Let me see where this is just a theory. I have no idea. Um, but it has taken his, his production time has taken a lot more. Um, time to get to. It's getting older too. You, know, yeah. you lose your fastball at some oh, point. Oh sure. I mean, part of me is kind of. It is kind of sad to see. You know, this is his life's work. This is everything he's worked for, and it ended up being it climaxed in on TV as opposed to a book. He's a writer. That's you know. And when's his next book after this going to come out? You know, I mean, if he's on the same pace, right, it might be another eight years away, decade. Right. Who knows? Yeah. No, it is. It is sad, but. You know, it is. I'm I'm glad he wrote the first couple ones because it's a great series. It, it'll always be his. It'll always be his legacy. But there is, he did give up a little bit of that power, so that was yeah. interesting. Anything else you'd like to uh, to add? We're running a little bit long here. I know we got the holiday weekend as well, so hopefully you guys are listening to us on the beach. Actually, hopefully not, because I hope you could listen to some better. Hopefully, in the, the car beach. down going to the Jersey in the car Shore. going to the beach. There yeah. you go. Your kids are yelling at you in the back of the car. What are we listening to? Who are these two idiots? Yeah, That's I was just going to curse there, but then I was like, well, it's yeah, family yeah, if show. the kids are listening, yeah. then be careful. Uh, I guess that's it for me, Anthony. You got anything else? That's all. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, uh, as always, and be sure to t- tune in next Thursday.